0: Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie mobile app.
1: Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Today, I'm talking with Shane Simpson about how to blood trail a deer After taking a shot on a whitetail, emotions are high, you're excited, maybe you're feeling a bit worried about your shot or making the recovery, and there aren't many people who could be better to talk to about this moment than Shane. He's an avid hunter, and each fall he undertakes lots of tracks with his dog, Callie. If you're not familiar with Shane already, go check out his YouTube channel, Shane Simpson Hunting, where you can find videos of him tracking with Callie, you can find his deer hunts, and obviously a ton of turkey hunting content as well. Over the years, Shane has learned a thing or two about blood trailing deer, and we get into some of that today, such as what you should do immediately after the shot, best practices when it comes to taking up the trail, and when to call in the help of a dog to track your deer. This episode is packed with info that will help you be more successful this fall. A few housekeeping items before we jump in, though. First, if you can, go leave us a review wherever you access this podcast. That lets others know how helpful this show can be for giving you real-time and relevant information when it comes to deer hunting. It also helps others find this podcast. So I would really appreciate it if you could do that for me. Also, we just launched an Instagram page for this podcast. You know, I've been posting for these episodes on my Wisconsin Sportsman Instagram page. But as I branch out to other states and have a different focus here on this show, I thought it was important to get that set up. So I have a place to post my deer hunting adventures and misadventures. Uh, So go give me a follow there. Uh, We've been churning out some really great content on this show over the last couple of weeks, and we actually have plans to post two episodes a week once deer season gets into full swing to bring you some really up-to-date info. I'll share more on that in the next couple of weeks, but I just have to say that I could not be doing that or any of the cool stuff that we are getting to do here uh, or even keep this show going. Number one, if it wasn't for you guys as the listeners, And number two, if it wasn't for all of our great partners, first of all, Tacticam, the title sponsor of this show, they just released a bunch of new products for the fall. The 6.0 point of view camera, really a a total redesign of their, their camera. It's a pretty sweet upgrade from previous models. They've also got the Solo Extreme, which is a great camera, but a little more budget-friendly option. And then, obviously, they've got their line of Reveal cell cameras. Uh, just released the Reveal X Pro, which has built-in GPS capability. That's great for finding cameras you maybe forgot to mark on your, uh, your Onyx or Hunt Stand or whatever app that you use, or keeping an eye on it in case that camera grows legs and walks off, if you know what I mean. Uh, One thing I'm really excited about, though, is uh, this new rechargeable lithium battery that they have. With the price of batteries these days, these rechargeable batteries are going to pay for themselves very, very quickly. You don't have to worry about bringing a bunch of batteries into the woods with you, fiddling around with putting in a bunch of AA batteries while you're in the timber. They cut down on time. They cut down on waste. They save you money. So head over to Tacticam.com or RevealCellcam.com to learn more. Next partner, Huntworth. I was out hanging some cameras last week and used their Lodi pack, And man, I was really, really impressed. Now I've been, I've been toying around with the pack down in my basement, been using it a little bit, wearing it around, but this was the first time that I really put a load in it. And man, let me tell you, it handled it really, really well. I had that thing loaded down with cameras and uh, water and all sorts of other stuff and the thing was just downright comfortable. It's an excellent pack. It's light. It carries the load well. The straps are really comfortable. They do a great job of spreading the load out on your shoulders. And right now, Huntworth is running a preseason sale where you can get 30% off of any of their gear. Go to their website, huntworthgear.com. Use the code PRE30. Now that PRE, P-R-E is all caps, PRE30 at checkout, and you'll get 30% off. Finally, Deer Lab. Uh, man, I'm loving it. As the velvet picks start to come in, I'm able to keep tabs on all the deer that I want to. I'm able to keep all my data in one place. It lets me create profiles for specific deer. Saves me time with its filtering tools and local weather built right in. I no longer have to make spreadsheets uh, like I used to do and manually input historical weather data. Uh, if you go to their website, DeerLab.com, you can get a 30-day free trial. There's no credit card required, so you really have nothing to lose. And when you're ready to purchase, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now, with all of that said, let's jump right into today's show, talking blood-trailing deer with Shane Simpson. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Shane Simpson. Shane, how's it going?
2: Uh, Pretty good. How about yourself?
1: Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. We're right here in the middle of August, kind of the dog days of summer and, uh, you know, nights are starting to cool off a little bit, though, so people's minds are starting to drift towards uh, the whitetail woods and archery openers just around the corner. And, uh, man, so I wanted to have you on and talk a bit about uh, tracking deer and what happens after the shot and how quickly we should move and all of that good stuff. But before we jump into that, um, last time we talked, we, uh, I had you on the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast, the other podcast that I host. And We talked a lot about uh, about turkeys, and people are probably really familiar with their turkey content. If they haven't found that already, they can go catch all of that on YouTube, but why don't you give us a brief rundown for some of those who maybe haven't heard of you or maybe don't know what you do uh, when it comes to deer and deer hunting and deer tracking?
2: So, uh, yeah, I, I have a dog, a blue-picked coonhound named Callie, that I got about five years, at, well, I guess about six years ago. She's gone into her uh, sixth. Season of tracking this year, um, and I, yeah, I track deer with her and uh, try to recover them, and I, I tried my best to video capture it on video the tracks and edit it and try to explain what's going on using um, an app, Bow Hunt Simulator or something I got off my, on my phone, and just do some screen captures to show 3D re- renditions of where the arrow hit the organs it hit, um, how we go about tracking it. I show overlays on maps showing our progress, the dog's progress, uh, and hopefully we'll locate deer. And hopefully it's a learning experience for a lot of people. And those videos are on my YouTube channel.
1: Yeah. Those videos are really awesome. People should go check those out. Was that, was that last fall that you basically about got run over by a buck?
2: Uh, that's happened twice in the last few years. Um, Oh, no kidding. It happened last. Yeah. So one time, uh, I think it was two years ago, maybe three um, this was in the snow. We were tracking deer and it, uh, this buck actually stood up and, uh, scooped Callie up in his antlers briefly and pushed her uh, along the ground and then it stopped and we were able to get back. Uh, then last fall, um, we were tracking a deer and it was a huge falling down tree, but there was like a three foot gap underneath it and Callie went under it and I went to crawl under it and I saw a drop of blood to confront and I was like, Oh good. We're still on the track. And, and by that time, as soon as I saw a drop of blood, Callie went berserk and I look up and there's a buck right in my face. He had charged forward. And luckily that tree was there because it kind of acted like a fence and it stopped him at the tree. And man, I went from right in front of that deer to about 30 yards away from the deer in like you know, a 10th of a second. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was getting out of there in a hurry, but the, yeah, the bug just, he charged forward and all I saw was antlers in front of my face and, it's hard to see it on the video, but you can see it a little bit. I, I usually run a 360 camera on my shoulder, but somehow the cord came unplugged when I was tracking and, and the battery went dead. So it didn't capture it. The little camera on my chest captured some of it. But, yeah, those uh, tracks like that, we've come up on, I don't know, four or five deer alive in the last five seasons of, of tracking, and uh, they, they never get uh, any... <laughs> Uh, they don't get enjoyable. Just put it that way. <laughs> they're, they're always pretty.
1: <laughs> yeah, I imagine if you're if you're on a especially a larger buck or maybe one that's got a little bit of age to them, they're uh, probably not in the mood to take any crap off of you.
2: No, no, no. And and when they're wounded, they uh, and a dog's barking in their face. They they don't care that I'm there. They. You know, dogs, dogs sitting there and they think it is a predator and they're wounded and they're trying to, they're trying to defend themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If
2: if they have enough energy, they just run away. But when they're really bad hurt or near their um, last breath or whatever, you know, they don't have the energy to run off. They, they will stand up if they can and, and charge you or try to defend themselves.
1: Man. Well, how many tracks have you been on at this point? Do you figure?
2: Uh, I've been on 151, uh, well, maybe a couple more than that. Cause I have another dog, uh, a little Boykin Spaniel that we've tracked a few times with him. Um, but basically layup tracks just for training. Um, so if you count those uh, a little more, but I think with Callie, I've been 151 tracks, and I don't do a, a, a whole lot of tracks when you, well, to the average hunter, you know, 30, 35 tracks a season is a lot. But when you compare my tracking to other trackers that do a dedicated tracking, you know some guys do anywhere from 100 to 200 tracks in a season. Wow! So I'm um, I'm just scratching the surface with the I'm just trying to basically save some time for me to hunt myself and and track a little bit also.
1: Yeah, man, I I know that's got to be tough. I called, um, I called a couple of trackers last fall. I made a bad shot on a deer, needed some help made some calls and I had people telling me like, man, I've had four or five, six other people. I've got, you know, three folks in front of you that I've already agreed to. And I'm not even sure if I can agree to yours. So it's, um, was this during the rut? Uh, this was actually middle of October. This was about October 16th. Yeah. They, the calls start ramping
2: up about mid October and they go crazy, you know, into mid November. Um, so it just gets worse from there, you know, with volume, volume wise. And then especially when gun season opens up here and you have a million gun hunters hitting the woods, uh, in early to mid November.
1: Let's jump into, uh, into talking about specifically tracking deer and kind of that moment after the shot, right? Like once the arrow is released, we have essentially zero control over the circumstances except for the decisions that we make about what we do. And Mm -hmm. I know in my own hunting career and in the hunting career of others that I've talked with doing everything right from the moment your feet hit the ground after you've climbed down or, or whatever, um, doing everything right really can make the difference between whether or not you're going to recover, uh, even a, a decently hit deer, but especially a, a marginally hit or a poorly hit, uh, Deer. So I want to take just a quick second to kind of set all of this up. What are some of the big mistakes that you see guys making? Like when they've called you and they're like, man, Shane, I'm in trouble. And you get there and you're like, oh, this person did everything wrong. Like they should not have done all of this. What are some of those big mistakes that people make that cause them to lose deer?
2: Well, I'm going to go over the uh, the little things and the big things. Uh, one thing I wish more hunters would do was use a lighted knot. Because it gives them a better idea of where they hit the deer, um, and I've been—I started tracking these stats uh, last year or, or so. And the guys that use lighter knots, I keep track of who's using one, who's who's using them, who's not. And I always ask where they think they hit it. You know, I send them a picture of a deer with a grid on it. The the, the hunters that are using lighter knots, when we recover their deer, are far more accurate as as far as proximity to where they. Think they hit the deer and where they actually hit the deer, they're far more accurate than the guys that don't use light of knots. Um, so that would be my first bit of advice because then you know you have a better idea where you hit the deer, and then you you know what your next steps are. The other thing is pay attention in the stand and listen after the shot. Watch the deer if you can still see it. You know, make note of his uh, reaction. Like if he runs off and stops, looks around, his tails wagging a lot, he hunches up and walks away. You know, all, all those are good signs of, you know, number one, that you hit the deer. Number two, where you may have hit the deer, a deer that hunches up and slowly walks away, usually a liver or a gut shot. Um, and so pay attention to that. And then just listen, you know, you may hear the deer bed down and if you know it was a gut shot or something, you hear it bed down, slip on out of there and don't even bother tracking it for, you know, 10 or 12 hours because he's, you're usually going to find him in that first bed as long as you don't bump him. Um, the other thing is people track too soon. They do not wait long enough. Mm. They hit a deer. They think, Oh, it's a good hit right behind the shoulder. A lot of people don't understand the true anatomy of a deer, the organs where they're laid out. Yep. Um, also, you know, you have the the lungs, but there's a diaphragm back there and that slides forward back and forth. So they may be on the exhale when you shoot this deer and you hit gut or liver and the next year shooting he may have inhaled and now has the diaphragm back farther and you've hit double lung. Interesting. And so, uh, yeah, so just because you hit, you know, right where you think the lungs are, it doesn't mean you necessarily hit the lungs and the angle deer can play a part in what you hit. Like if, um, a buddy of mine, Corey is a tracker up here and he posted a great photo of a deer, um, the, the internal organs of the, with the liver and the liver sits off to the right side of the deer if you were shooting a quarter or 2 shot on that deer you could miss the liver from shooting from the, the one side and if you shot him the same angle from the other side of the deer you'd hit the liver so you'd have two outcomes same exact shot placement just on different sides of the deer um i'm getting kind of no. deep here but
1: no that that's um, really good yes. what are there any are there any resources out there to help folks begin to understand some of that stuff because that's something that i've been trying to dive a bit more into and there's some there are some videos and things on YouTube that uh, are somewhat controversial. You're probably familiar with the guy that I'm talking about that uh, a lot of folks love him. A lot of folks hate what he's done and say that his understanding of deer anatomy is all wrong. Is there any resources that you found to be reliable and helpful?
2: Uh, just my own gutting of each deer I recover. Um, I mean, there's, I'm trying, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I should have mentioned so-and-so. <laughs> um, but like the thing, I just mentioned the picture the, the my buddy up here that posted on our Facebook group. We have the Minnesota Tracking Dogs Facebook group. And so you can go on there and, and go through the photos and you can see the post that he made. I've, I am uh, updating my website now, and I'm also building the process of building a website for the Minnesota Tracking Dogs. Okay, and we will include we will include a lot of that content type of content, showing deer anatomy, showing shots, showing actual pictures of deer hit with an arrow, the organs hit, that sort of thing. So you can go there and say, oh, that's interesting. Here's a video of a deer, you know. And, and this has a, a this is a ways off. We still got to build all this stuff in the process of building it. But eventually, um, we're going to have you know data on there. We're gonna we're going to be taking data from hunters. Uh, that shot deer where they hit it. You know, just try to build this database to help people better understand what the outcome may be when you hit a deer in a certain spot at a different certain angle and and, and all that information. Um, UnitedBloodTrackers dot org. That's a great place, a resource to to get some information. There's a book on there that uh, talks about tracking with dogs. If you want to learn more about it, um, and I, I can't recall. It, it, if it has, uh, like the anatomy of deer and stuff, but there's a lot of things online. like on that website where you can uh, learn more about, um, deer tracking in general and, uh, the shots, you know, what wait times and et cetera. Very but anyways, nice. <laughs> I get off topic a lot of times back to the, the shot. So the big mistake a lot of hunters make is they don't wait long enough. Yeah. You know, obviously if you make a bad shot, you know, you can control that to some degree. You know, selecting a you know a perfect time to shoot at the deer when he's not in brush, and you know there's some things in your control, but you can't control how the deer reacts after the shot, how he jumps the string and whatnot. And if you make a bad shot, Dan Infall said it one time, and I totally agree with him. You either hit the deer good, and the deer's going to be good dead in a few minutes, or you hit it bad, and you're going to wait. You have to wait six hours at least. There is no, you know, somebody says, oh, it wasn't a good hit. I'll give him a couple hours, let him stiffen up. That that doesn't happen, hmm. you know. The deer doesn't stiffen up <laughs> until he's dead and he gets rigor mortars. That's yeah. the only time he stiffens up. Yep. So you either hit it good and you can wait, you know, a few minutes if you'd like. But what I typically do is I take my time getting out of my stand. I may t- text some buddies or I may text my girlfriend and say, hey, I'm going to be late getting home. And I shot a deer, so I'll be getting out of the woods take my time, get my deer out of, uh, gear out of the tree, uh, bring them a stand down and six and stuff. And so by the time all that's done, I've, I've eaten up 45 minutes or more, and then I'll start tracking my deer. If I think it was a bad hit, liver, guts, somewhere back, or maybe, um, you know, a leg hit, you know, sometimes you can catch a lo- an artery. Um, but anyway, if you know if it's a bad hit, you probably need to back out anyway and give it a minimum of six hours call a tracker up and then he can give you a better, uh, an idea of even longer to wait. You know, he may say, okay, I think it's this, we're probably good going in there tracking out. If you want to go ahead and track and look, look ahead, um, at the first sign of that, you may be losing the trail or, or if anything like that's happening, go ahead and just mark last blood and back out and we'll bring the dog in. Um, but yeah, you're going to either be able to track pretty soon after the shot or at least wait at least six hours preferably 12 hours, 10 or 12 hours, for most liver and gut shots.
1: Hmm. So what are let, – let's talk a little bit about shot placement, shot angle, and and that kind of thing. Um, where are you seeing guys have a lot of success? And then where are you seeing, you know, where guys were just like, man, I, I, I thought that should have been a lethal shot. Like I hit where I aimed, and it just didn't go – like I thought it should after that. Like, like what are some of the mistakes that people are making around deer biology?
2: Well, a lot of things like the one that charged us last fall, the guy, you know, he was adamant that he made a great shot right behind the shoulder, you know, right in that pocket should have been a double long hit, you know? And I actually made the mistake of tracking too soon because I took his word for it. And then I got down there and I, I met up with him and I saw the arrow and I was like, man, this arrow looks a little dark, you know, and I saw like a little bit of grip, but I wasn't sure if it was dirt on the arrow from it, you know, passing through the deer and picking up some dirt on the ground. It was, it was nighttime. I was using a, a flashlight to try to see it. And I was like, you sure you hit it where you said, you oh yeah, I'm, I'm positive. It's a great, great hit, double lung. I know the deer's dead. It just, uh, the blood, he stopped at the edge of the woods and then he then he went up through the woods and that has me worried, and I'm thinking, okay, okay, maybe he's right. I should have paid attention to, uh, I should have listened to my inner voice and said, let's just wait.
1: Mm, yeah. But I
2: figured we, I took his word for it, and we tracked that deer, and uh, he didn't go very far. You know, 50 or 75 yards up from last blood, and we found him, you know, bedded down, and he charged us. He was still alive, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that ended up being. I have to go back and look. I'm pretty sure that ended up being like the back of one lung and a liver hit. Okay. You know, Yep. and so it, it, it was, it looked pictures. If you show the pictures of people, I get these comments all the time when I post a recovery and they see the hole. I was like, why did you need a tracking dog? Why did he need a tracking dog for that? It looks like a great shot to me. I'm like, yeah, it missed the lungs. It was a liver shot, you know? So a lot of people have that. I don't know if it's the deer targets that we buy and, and they show the lungs and the heart and everything so far back, you need to get close to that leg. To ensure that you're getting into a double lung hit, and I, I personally recommend, and I do it myself, is aim for that lower third near the leg, you know, near that bottle V, trying to get into the, the heart and double lungs. And and also, if the deer jumps the string, I and I end up hitting high, I still get double lung, and that's one of the top reasons we track, or one of the top calls we get, is somebody hit high in the shoulder, and got limited penetration. Um, they had great blood for 200 yards and then it just stopped. And that's all indicative of a high shoulder muscle hit. Mm. Um, the, the spine drops really low right there. And you know, a lot of people think they still got into the thoracic cavity, but what they actually did is slid right over the spine. You know, it was like eight inches and six to eight inches. I can't remember. I have a picture somewhere showing my hand laid on top of the spine uh, vertically and, and and I'm still on the top of the back of the deer, you know, oh, with wow. the meat and fat. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of area above that deer spine. That's just meat, muscle, hide, and fat.
1: Man, man. So I I, I got to run by you uh, a scenario that I kind of had happen to me a couple of years ago. Uh, something that has bewildered me, but it's all about this shot placement thing. And, and I want to get your opinion on it. So it was uh 2014 or 2015. I can't remember uh, which one. I shot my biggest uh, South Alabama deer that I had that I had ever seen. It was a nice ten point. Probably would have gone close to 120, 125 somewhere in there. Which for our region, right there by the by the Gulf, uh, was a an absolute monster. So yep. I, I shoot this deer. Uh, it's it's close to dark, but I'm pretty sure I tucked it in real close to that front leg. And a little bit low, you know, if anything, I was like, ah, it might've been a little low, but I can't really tell. Uh, the deer runs off. We take up the track a little while later and, uh, you could see where he stopped at one point and had blood pouring out of both sides. So I'm thinking, man, this is a dead deer. And it's, and it was bright red, bright red blood, no bubbles in it, but bright red. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't, I don't know exactly what this means. Eventually we walk a little bit further and we get up to this little road bed and a deer, I don't know if it was him because we didn't find a bed, but a deer jumped up and ran off. And so we might've jumped him at that point. Long story short, we went back the next morning cause we couldn't find him, found where he had just started walking. And then the blood just totally disappeared after that. About five days later, this deer shows up on trail camera and he gets, he's got a wound directly behind the front shoulder, right where, um, right where I thought I hit him. And that deer never came back to that food plot for a while. And the neighbor ended up shooting him in December. So I shot him in October neighbor shot him in December. His whole shoulder was all rotted up and everything like that. In your opinion, where the heck did I hit that deer? I don't have a good enough relationship with that neighbor uh, to talk with him. Unfortunately, Um, we found out from a mutual friend that is kind of a go between to keep the peace there. Um, where in the world did I hit that deer? What did I hit?
2: Um, I was just having this conversation with Ranch Ferry earlier today when he and I talked. Um, I tracked the deer a few years back. Hunter shot the deer right behind the leg, basically like you described. Full pass through. Deer went out there and laid down, saw that's where he was gonna find it dead. Um, another little buck came up and nudged him, got him up moving, and um and he lost, ended up losing. No, he, he snuck out of there. The deer bedded down in like tall grass. He came back in there a couple hours later with his dad to retrieve the deer. The deer was gone. So we came in there the next day and tracked this deer, and we never could find it. And he described it as a perfect shot. And I was like, man, that just sounds like a double long hit to me. And where you're, you're saying you hit it? We should find this deer, and we couldn't. Well. Six days later, it shows back up on trail camera, and you can see the entry wound side. And to, from my uh, analysis, it was a perfect shot placement. broadside, you know, almost right there in the vital V. Okay. Uh, like right right, even with the leg, you know, if you the leg stretched straight down, so straight up vertically from the leg. Um, looked about midway up the body, not quite midway, uh, right at the top of that bottom third.
1: Yeah, man, that, you're describing like exactly the shot that I made. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, he sent me that picture. And I was like, wow, he's still
2: alive. And then um, I don't know if it was a week later or, or you know, four or five days later or whatever it was, it was getting into the rut. He gets another picture of this deer, and he's breeding a doe in front of his trail camera. <laughs> and he has the he has the exit wound size. And you can see it's low, like right in the armpit, like perfect exit hole. And I'm like, how's that deer alive? That, that definitely has to be at least a double lug. Maybe even slice of the top of the heart or something. You never know. Um, anyway, he gets, I think he gets one more trail cam picture of it later, like four or five days later. And then a week or two later, he sends me, and I don't remember, I'm just kind of guessing these timelines, but, uh, cause it's been years ago, a few years back, he sends me a picture of the deer dead in the ditch on the side of the road. car to hit it, And, uh, I asked him if he was if it was possible for him to cut it open and get me some, uh, you know, pictures of the organs. He's like, "No, nah, it's too disgusting, <laughs> too oh, messed man. up for for that." But that would have been some credit, uh, critical information. Now, at Ranch Ferry when I was talking to him today, he said it could it could be that the broadhead just wasn't sharp, and it was you know the dull of the broadhead. It's possible for it to push through there and not um, and the, the they're able to heal back up or seal back up where the sharp blade prevents, um, you know, that, that, from happening. Yep. And, and I don't, I don't want to get too technical with that because that's outside of my scope of knowledge, but I do remember watching a show years ago where this fella had a, like a tomato plant or something right outside of his front door. And he had it staked up with an old piece of rusty rebar. And he came out of his house one day and he tripped and fell and landed on the rebar and went right through his chest. Oh, and yeah, and he survived. And the doctors said that that dull, rusty rebar pushed its way through the body and the organs kind of just slid around it. And it went right between the lungs and around the heart. You know, they just kind of pushed it out of the way. And they even had like little demonstrations. I remember it that, that, like it was yesterday, but they had like little demonstrations of a mock-up of sticking this rebar through there. And it showed it just pushes, uh, bags to represent organs out of the way without puncturing them. Wow. And so, you know, maybe that's what happened, but I, just from that trail camp, that's why I tell people all the time, they say, Oh, shot placement everything. Don't worry about your arrow and your blade and this and that. Just make a good shot. And I, and I tell them all the time. It's like, if you've seen the stuff I've seen and the images shared with me from other trackers, these deer should be dead, but they're not, they're not dying. And, and it goes, Back to you know, these deer have antlers, big old spikes, you know, 10 spikes on top of their head that they get stabbed with by other bucks. You know, they're fighting, so they're built to survive. You know, stuff poking them uh, is the only thing I can figure out, but it's just amazing that sometimes deer just aren't meant to die. And so, um, you made a good shot that's outside of that it was beyond your control, yeah, really.
1: yeah. That you know, that's back when I was using. Um, some not very large and probably not very sharp mechanical broadheads. And that was before I even, like I would literally pull them out of the pack and slap them on my arrow and, and move yeah. on. So that makes sense. It's probably like a, just a, a dull piece, piece of rebar basically uh, sliding on through there. What what kind yeah, of...
2: Yeah, we're going to need some experts to do uh, some more testing to, to figure out exactly why. Because uh, I mean, I, I'm still scratching my head out how some of these deer survive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've my dad's got the picture of, of this one that I shot. And to this day, I go look at it from time to time. And I'm like, cause that's, I, I haven't shot anything bigger there still. Um, and I mean, he's one of the bigger deer that we've ever had on camera on this property. And so, man, I go back and look at that picture. I'm like, how is that deer not dead? Like, I just, I don't understand it, but I I'm curious here, uh, you know, along with the, You know, super tough, super sharp broadhead and very heavy arrow um, uh, trend, let's call it. I don't want to call it a fad because I think there's more to it. It it is a trend, though, but it's also opening up uh, guys taking uh, shots that maybe they wouldn't have before, uh, like some straight-on shots or some uh, harder quartering two shots. What kind of success rate do you see on recovery of those shots?
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't call it a... a a fat either it's that's what we used to all shoot as heavy arrows back when they were aluminum back when I first started but but anyway um, everything was built for everyone was going to speed um, anyway um, just from our tracking stats that I have my buddy Ryan Carpenter he he uh, put together into a, a big old chart um, it seems that we have a better uh, odds of a pass through with the heavier arrows just just looking because I I weigh the arrows every time I track. Uh, the, the deer were, um, with the pass throughs were 10% heavier than, um, on the arrows with non-pass throughs uh, overall on average.
1: Interesting. It was okay. a
2: 10% uh, heavier weight. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if people, I, I don't have enough evidence to say that people with the heavier arrows are taking shots, uh, that they normally wouldn't like quartering two. I mean, cause uh, I've always had, seen those shots and even from the day one of tracking those was, i was getting calls for quartering too um i think the the biggest thing that i see and it's not uh, a tremendous amount but i get those calls from crossbow hunters um when i asked how far was your shot and it was like oh it's 65 yards out you Ooh. know or something like that those guys the crossbow hunters there's a few of them seem to and this is just i, I don't want to say this is proof of anything it's just i've I've noticed uh, a few of those guys when they call me seem to take longer shots, whereas most of your compound shots and a lot of your crossbow those shots are thirty yards and in. Our average—I um, didn't even cl- include this in the, the stat document that I put on my website—that our average uh, shot distance is about twenty-three yards, with average ends up being. Mm. So most shots are you know under thirty yards, but. I've had, I have had a few long distance shots on uh, people calling to for me to track, and it's all of them have been crossbow hunters, but it's only been a few. Man. So I don't want it to, I don't want it to make it like all crossbow hunters <laughs> take long <laughs> shots, but, but I can see from the crossbow manufacturing advertising how they seem to promote that, like, you know, 100 yard shot, you know.
1: Yeah. That, you know, for me, it's all, man, if, if something's legal, let a guy use whatever it is he wants to use. I have, I have no issue with that. I, I have taken issue with, with some of the marketing, with some of the crossbow brands of like, yeah, you can be drilling tacks at 100 yards. That, that's why you should buy this thing. And it's like, man, it might be sending a signal that, that we don't really want to. Um, my next question is this, and uh, I, I got a lot of questions from the dog tracker that I had out this past October uh, about this specifically. And so did a buddy of mine who used him a little bit later in the season. Um, how often do you have a guy who, what, what percentage of people, let's say, actually saw correctly where the arrow hit? Like how often are you having people, you know, tell you, oh, it was here. And then it's like, ah, you, you had no idea where your arrow hit.
2: I'd say the vast majority 75% of them are within a six inch or so circle of where they thought they hit the deer. Um, and then the other. 20 to 25% are, you know, what I would consider way off. I've had, like I told you, one guy told me uh, his son hit the deer in the guts and it ended up, I don't remember if I told you that yet or not, but anyway, he, he had videoed it with his cell phone and, and I think part of it was he got a still frame or a screenshot of the video on his phone and there was a dark shadow back there in the guts and he didn't have a lighted knock on his son's bow. And so he just assumed that's where he hit it, and we tracked it, and we couldn't recover it, and then the deer showed, um, well, it didn't show back up. I didn't see any sign that this deer was gut shot. Um, they didn't track it that night. Usually we find duck, gut shot deer pretty easily. They usually don't go far, especially if you don't track it. And I had him give me a copy of the video, and, and when I watched it frame by frame on in my video editing software, I could see the arrow. Even though it was a blur, I could see it go right across the back backstrap. So it was nowhere near that. Um, but like I said earlier about the light lighted knots. The, some of these guys that don't shoot lighted knots, they're you know a foot or two feet off from where they think they hit the deer sometimes. Uh, and so there there is a, a large majority are fairly accurate. I should say fairly accurate. Um, you know, I'd say within six inches is a pretty good uh, estimate of fairly accurate. Um, and it can make a big difference, whether it's a gut shot or, or a liver shot or a lung shot, but still, I would that's how I would rank it.
1: Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera providing 4K footage in a user-friendly waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8X zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point-of-view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro, With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X-Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellcam.com. This episode is also brought to you by DeerLab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. DeerLab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. DeerLab has tons of great features, like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target, and you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial, and then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show the The tracker that I had out, he was he was great, um, good guy, and I was kind of you know telling him where I hit the deer. He was like, nobody hit the deer where they said they did. I was like, no, no, re- really, I'm I'm really positive this is where I hit it. I've got a trail camera picture. He ran past the trail camera, and you could see the arrow hanging out of him. And he's like, nobody hits it where they thought they did. Like, oh, all right, all right, well. So I wanted to ask you about that to see if uh, you were quite as pessimistic on. uh no, they they. The
2: yeah, they, they're they typically in the ballpark. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, we have the thing about among our trackers that, you know, when we get the uh, information from a hunter, like which way did the deer run, uh, when, you know, we get on site, yeah, he ran right in front of that tree. And when we start tracking, the dog wants to go on the backside of the tree or go this way. And it's like, no, nah, I'm sure the deer went this way. And I've had that happen a few times where the hunter is dead wrong. Um, where they actually thought the deer. So I mean, yeah. In the heat of the moment, the adrenaline's going. You get tunnel vision. There was another deer stand there that you didn't see when you shot it. I actually had that happen one time. The, the fella had video of the hunt, and he before he could review the footage uh, on the little screen on his camcorder, he had uh, he told me where which way the deer ran, and um, when I looked back at the footage, I say no, that was a different deer. It was standing there in the CRP off to the side, and when you shot it bolted across in front of the camera and his eyes caught that movement. And I guess he followed that deer. So yeah, my deer went that way when his deer actually just ran straight away from me. Oh, wow. So, I mean, there's instances like that that can play tricks on the mind, I guess. Um, it usually doesn't happen often, uh, you know, one out of every 20, 30 tracks, they may have, uh, misjudged where the, the deer actually went. I actually tracked, <laughs> this is a funny story. I actually tracked for another tracker, Um, just to take my young, uh, boy can spaniel out to get some practice. Yeah. And, uh, he had a son on a youth hunt and they had shot two deer and he he was pretty accurate where the first one went and we went and recovered it and they didn't go like 60 yards. And, um, and then he said, okay, here's where the second one went. And I couldn't get my dog to, my dog, I put him on the, the, the tracker and he wouldn't go that way. And I was like, you sure that deer went that way? He's like, yeah, I'm positive. Long story short, I ended up getting Callie out of the truck, and uh, she did the same thing. She wouldn't take me down that, that trail, and we ended up finding that deer. It went down a different trail, and he had totally misjudged where that deer had run, mm. and he's a tracker. So it can, it can happen to anyone. Sure. We're all human, and um, it's, it's like... You know, witnesses to a crime a lot of times are not very accurate in the heat of the moment and all the adrenaline and all, all the action going on. It can really skew what you actually remember.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And that and that's, you know, that's the, for a lot of guys, that's the most fired up. You're going to be all year. Uh, that's, the, yeah. that's the biggest adrenaline dump you're going to experience for the year. So, uh, yeah, you may not be able to perceive things uh, quite accurately. But I, I want to talk a little bit about after the shot, like immediately after the shot, let's say you get down – you head over there to your arrow, or at least to the site of impact if, you, if your arrow is not immediately right there. What are some of the things that you're looking for that are going to be indicators for you as, hey, I need to take this track up in an hour, or wow, I, I really need to put some time, let this thing wait? When I look
2: at an arrow, I, I want confirmation of what I thought I saw when I released the arrow, where I think I hit the deer. I thought it was a double lung hit and I go in there and find the arrow on the ground and there's pink, hot pink blood, I mean, you know, light pink blood um, with some bubbles in it, you know, lung blood. And I'm like, okay, that really confirms where I thought I hit. And I, you know, I, by then I've only, I've already t- used up 45 minutes or, or an hour getting out of the sand to get to my arrow. I'm in no hurry to get to that arrow. And so then I'll just keep on tracking at that point. And I, I know I, I have to stress this and I'm guilty of it too, use toilet paper or tissue paper to mark your blood trail and stay off the blood trail when you're tracking because it will come in handy sometimes. You may not come in handy each time. You may just leave a trail of tissue, but it'll deteriorate in a few days, especially after rain. But there's going to be that one time where you need it to figure out the path of the deer or you're going to have a tracker come in, and trackers find that very useful to, to confirm their dog's lot, your deer. And once they get past that last tissue piece, then we can trust the dog to keep going. Anyway, to back up, if I go over there and I think I hit a good hit and I don't find lung blood on there, I find maybe dark blood or I smell the arrow, smell the arrow and see if it has a, a, a foul odor to it. Um, liver even, uh, liver, liver blood even has a slight stink to it. I call it a little foul odor. Um, and guts really stink, you know, smell like guts. And, um, if you smell a foul odor on there, anything other than just a blood odor, then you need to probably back out and give it, you know, at least six hours to reassess the situation, um, before you, uh, start tracking.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk about that a little bit then as we, uh, are putting some of the pieces together, you know, we get to the site of impact. We know what we think we saw. We get to the site of impact. And we can be relatively sure at this point, maybe we're, you know, maybe our arrows lining up with what we saw and it's a gut shot, or we suspect a high lung shot, or we suspect uh, maybe a single lung shot. Let's run through each of those. And you kind of tell me what your, what your initial thought would be. So the first one, I think is an easy one. Gut shot. What are you doing?
2: I'm backing out and waiting until tomorrow morning. If it's an evening hunt, I'm giving it 10 or 12 hours and then, um, if I don't have a dog, I'm going to just walk slowly, look for blood. There's probably not going to be much blood trail at all. Um, and usually you'll find that deer, you know, within a few hundred yards, 200 yards to our average is about 250 or 300. We find them in their first bed. If you don't, don't track them the night before and bump them. And I've, I've helped hunters find deer without tracking. They called me up and, and they're in the stand. Hey, I just made a bad hit. I shot it in the gut. I saw them about 100 yards away, walking away from me. I lost sight of them. And, you know, I said, yeah, you're probably going to, if you back out and go in the morning, you're pro- probably going to find your deer not far from where you last saw them. And sure enough, that's where they find them. Mm. And so that's that's my step, you know. And But don't get too confident and say, yeah, that's where I'm going to find it and not call a tracker. Um, your best odds is to at least call a tracker, get their thoughts, get their ears on it, and see if they're available tomorrow morning in case you end up needing them. And and I know some people put more importance on certain deer than others, like if it's a doe, they're more willing to lose that deer versus a, a big boony crocket buck, obviously. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess put put your worth on that deer and say, if you really wanna find it, just go ahead and get a tracker. I personally <laughs> I I wanna find all my deer. Yeah. So if uh, I think I need a tracker I'm gonna get one no matter if it's a doe or what. Yep. Anyway um, kind of got off track there. If I go up to the arrow and, and, um, you know, it's, it's a liver shot. I used to give those shots you know, it's dark blood, got a little grit in it. Um, it has a slight foul odor. I saw the arrow hit the deer. Maybe I it hit a little back close to the back of the lungs and liver. I used to give about six to eight hours for those, but I've, I've come up on more of those deer hitting the liver still alive the, the next day than I have on gut shot deer that now I treat liver shot deer the same as gut shot deer. I'm giving them 10 to 12 hours at uh, minimum.
1: Interesting. Okay. Um,
2: and, and yeah, it just, it depends on where you hit the deer in the liver and it's, there's no way to really know. And like I mentioned earlier, the the liver sits on the, on the side, right side of the deer's body. It's kind of, um, around the, I wish I had a picture for everyone to see the way it cradles, uh, uh around the stomach and behind the diaphragm. And so, um, yeah, just how you hit the liver can determine, you know, how quick the deer dies. I shot one in the liver one time, and the deer went, ran off and batted down. I could see him from my stand. 15 minutes, he was dead. But I've seen liver shot deer that look like it center punched the liver, and they were still alive, you know, 15, 16 hours later. So I, I, I'm, I think there's some major vessels
1: inside the liver.
2: Um, and I guess you, if you hit one of those, they die quicker. Um, but yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I've heard, I've heard sort of different stories on liver hit deer, right? Like you, exactly like you just said, you know, f- folks are like, Oh, liver hit, they'll be dead in just a couple hours. And not then others, like you said, are more like ah, liver hit. That's, we need to give it a lot of, give it a ton of time. Um, yeah, and you know, let me sense. back
2: up and suggest, let me back up and suggest this also. Um, not only use lighted knocks, but use white fletching. And if you want to use white wraps on the arrows, use that. I can't tell you how many times I've gone on track and get there to inspect the arrow and the arrows got green fletching, you know, with one cock cock vein, that's red. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so this you're going to, how are you going to see gut matter, which is green or blood, which is red. I prefer if you use all white, you know, yeah. it'll help you see the arrow, find the arrow easier. Don't get too fancy and be decorative with your arrows. Use them. As a tool, and not as a decoration.
1: Yeah, no that that's good. That's really good. Let's let's talk a little bit now about high lung hits, because um, I know that those can give people fits. Because a lot of times you end up not getting a ton of blood, at least maybe not a lot of blood on the ground. So it depends on kind of the the, the cover that the deer is running through. What are you? How are you going to address a high lung hit? Well. Oh.
2: Well, is it a one lung or a double lung? Um, well, let's do double lung first
1: because I've got I've got single lung hit as my next question. Because man, some of those for me have been an absolute rodeo.
2: Yeah, I, I usually track those same as if it was you know lower lung. You know, with the dog, I'm tracking scent. I don't sure. need blood.
1: Yep, yep. I'm
2: assuming the deer's dead either way. Um, sometimes it ends up being a, it's just a high shoulder shot and not a not a high lung. Um, there's, there's a lot. Most people think they hit lungs when they you know, like we described, I described earlier. Yeah. Yep. But I'll take those and I'll try, I'll run that track until my dog decides it's not interested anymore. And then we'll, we'll even the, the deer that we don't find, I spend more time on those tracks than any other track. I usually average about three hours on site on a deer. We don't recover because I'm doing everything I can to rule out that we miss this deer. We track it. If, if Cali, for some reason, just is not interested in tracking that deer anymore. Uh, sometimes dogs, lose interest because they're not picking up the odor of an injured deer anymore. And they're, you know, they, it's the same way that a coyote finds your deer before you do. They cut the scent of that deer where it ran off and they detect the pheromones and the odors that that deer gives off when it's injured. And mm-hmm. they start following that deer and they recover. So a, a, a tracking dog, same way that sometimes they, they start losing that odor and they decide, okay, this deer not mortally wounded. They learn that after five or six years of tracking. But um, then I'll grid search with her nose, you know, and give a nice thorough search. And on deer, I recover. We we're usually there a half hour or less. You know, we usually recover them pretty quick. The Dog takes me right to the deer. You know, even if it's you know three or four, five hundred yards away. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. No, <laughs> so no. Yeah, no. A high lung, high lung. I'm gonna treat it just like a double lung, um, or a high shoulder, the high shoulders, we're going to run them and, and track them and just confirm that deer's still alive or, or maybe it's dead.
1: Yeah. So yeah. That's
2: the way I treat those.
1: Let, let's jump into the one, to the single lung hit. Uh I believe that to be what happened uh to the deer that I shot this year that I ended up calling a tracker on. Uh, we did not recover the deer. Uh, it was kind of like you said, and you know, I, he ran past the trail camera. All I know is what I saw in the picture and what I saw or what I remember seeing when I took the shot. Um, but from the moment the dog showed up, he wasn't that interested in the track. He, he yeah. wasn't very excited about it. It was a steep angle. Uh, and I don't know how it could have gone where it did with the size of broadhead that I had. I had a big 200 grain single bevel broadhead on there. Very sharp. I don't know how it could have gone into that deer and not gotten into the good stuff with, with where the arrow went. So let's talk single lung hits. How are you, how are you going to approach those?
2: Well, first of all, I don't like non-pass-through shot deer. I I still track them because we still recover some. Um, I don't, I don't turn it down just because it's not high odds of recovery, but we have much higher odds of recovery on a complete pass-through. If I think it's a single lung, I'm hoping to get on that track as soon as possible. Okay. Um, because what happens, those deer usually don't die immediately. They can live days or weeks and they may even survive it. Um, you know, we, we talked earlier about the, the, your deer you shot, it was passed through, and then when I tracked, they ended up surviving, you know, weeks after the shot. Yep. The thing with a single lung hit deer, they can survive enough on the other working lungs. To move around the landscape and keep moving as soon as you can get on it and track that deer or the dog we do what's called pushing the deer now that deer can walk on with one lung and supply enough oxygen for his body but he cannot run for the same period of time and provide enough oxygen to all his muscles and his organs and brain and all that stuff and so if you push a deer that's one lung hit eventually they get too exhausted from lack of oxygen and they either uh, die or bed down, and you can catch up to them, and the hunter can come up there and dispatch the deer. Mm. Um, so that's that's usually how I treat a one-lung hit deer if I can. It's a lot easier in the states where they can track off-lead or off-leash. Yep, They can just let the dog go, and the dog will run the deer and bay it up, and then, then you can go in there and dispatch it. Um, up here, I'm required to be on lead with the dog, and so I can only keep up to the deer as fast as I can move the dog. I'm slowing the dog down. Um, we have recovered a couple that way. Um, what usually happens, um, a buddy of mine has a good video. I don't think it's public, but they, um, he showed it to me where they came up on the, they were tracking down a one lung hit deer, suspect one lung hit deer. And they came up onto that deer. The deer jumped up and ran off and then 50 yards in the middle of running fell over dead. Um, he was <laughs> wow. you know, just, to, just uh, no, use that last little bit of oxygen and energy and they, the, the deer passed out and died or whatever. And I had that happen on a track years ago where we suspect it was a one-long hit deer. I tracked this deer, jumped it, took off running. And I asked the hunter, I said, do we have enough property to work with? Um, can we keep pushing this deer? He said, yeah, you have enough. Go after it. And I was like, Callie, find it. So we took off after the deer. You know, 100, 200 yards later, I don't remember what it was, and we came up on the deer again. He was bed down. He was too weak to get up this time. And so I just backed out and let the hunter dispatch the, he came in and stabbed with a knife uh, in the neck and, you know, put out of its misery. So, um, th- that's how I try to treat a one lung hit. The sooner you can get to my it with a dog, the better. And yeah. I know there's people out there that says, I don't need a dog. I can track a deer. You're not going to track a deer fast enough, following blood droplets. Yeah. So, um,
1: so if you suspect a one lung hit, you're not even going to try to track it without a dog. You're, you're calling a tracker immediately.
2: Yeah. You better get a dog on there ASAP.
1: Okay. Man, that, that's really good. That That's what I did this past year. We didn't end up recovering the deer. Like I said, the dog wasn't super excited, and this dog had, like, I don't know, 700 recoveries under its belt. Yeah, so,
2: that dog knows what it's doing. That, he probably yeah, just knew that deer.
1: Yeah, that dog knew what was up. And, actually, I ended up getting pictures of that deer following a doe uh, three weeks later, yeah. three and a half weeks later. Yeah. Um, so that's a common
2: occurrence that's, uh, on the tracks we go on where it's one long hit deer or high shoulder. Um, I think it's like 15 or 16% of our deer show back up on camera later that we track or, man. uh, or witness by another hunter. So just because you don't recover the deer, um, doesn't mean it's actually dead. The deer may still be out there moving around and we've had, I, I know several hunters that we track for. And the deer was uh, was shot later in the season, either their archery season or during gun season. Man, so there's yeah. always a second chance, I guess. <laughs> yeah, possibility.
1: Yeah, it you know it'd be it'd be awesome to to be able to sort of do an autopsy on some of those deer that have strange hits or you know a one lung hit or something like that, just to see. Okay, I suspected a one lung hit. Somebody shot the deer. Now let's get in there and look at exactly what did happen. You know, did I did I really well, that's, get one lung? That's
2: that's the hard part there because you know, most most folks aren't willing to do that effort for you. If I was there, I just cut the deer open for them and I would take pictures. When those people, they uh, yeah, I, I tracked this deer for them. They they shot it three weeks later during gun season. Uh, can you send me some pictures of the organs? Oh, they've already cut it up and gutted it, and you know you know either they don't want to do it or they don't think to do it. Um, I don't think all, all the time they're doing it intentionally. It's just, they're excited to they kill the deer finally. And then, you know, they just go through the process. And then the next day they text me, Hey, we, we got that deer that you tracked earlier this year, Yeah, but it, yeah, like you yep. said, it would be nice if I could be on scene or if they could take, you know, good, uh, take a thorough job of taking pictures, uh, and of the organs so we can know how did this deer survive a complete through through the thoracic cavity.
1: Yeah. So from the deer that you recover, would you say that a, that like a one lung hit deer is, is the most difficult track?
2: Yeah. I think that we have the lowest odds of recovery on one lung hit deer. Okay. And, uh, we have the highest recovery on a gut shot and liver shot deer.
1: Interesting. Okay.
2: Yeah. We, we, when our first season, we were a hundred percent on liver gut shot deer for like the first, you know, 20 15 or 20 tracks of gut shot deer i was like man i i I don't wish it on the deer but if i could have a gut shot track every time uh, that'd be (laughs) golden because we were we were finding them all the thing is the nice i think the thing is about a gut shot deer is they rarely leave a blood trail yep so the hunter doesn't have a chance to muck up the scent trail because they don't have anything to follow and i think they the deer give off more of that odor, you know, they're they're in pain. You can see them when they hunch up and stuff. There's a lot of discomfort, you know. Maybe they're releasing other odors, and plus the the gut odor itself is probably stronger. The dogs just seem to be able to follow those deer easier.
1: Just seems like interesting, interesting. So you know, as you're out there on a bunch of tracks every year, you're following Callie around. I'm sure that you have run across uh, a bunch of myths when it comes to. Um, tracking deer, like what deer are going to do after the shot. So like, no, don't go look over there. The deer would have gone this way. You know, if you're doing a grid search or something like that, what are some of the myths that you've heard where you're like, eh, you know, this is kind of common wisdom, but it's not accurate. And maybe what are some of the things that you're like, Hey, typically this is what I, I do actually see deer doing. Like, are there any consistencies there?
2: Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't technically call a miss. It's just I'm not seeing it with my data, my tracking. Like people, you know, they lose a deer and they post it on social media and the first comment is go look near water, you know. Well, we rarely find deer near water. And what I mean by near water, in my my data collection, I, I'll put a check mark. Yes, we found it near water. If the deer is dead within 50 yards of water, that's a pretty good distance. Yep. And – considering the fact of like 30% of the surface area of Minnesota and Wisconsin is water, marshes,
1: <laughs> lakes, streams, and whatever you would think, <laughs> right. There should be a lot of deer dying by water. Yeah. Usually you, you would think at least
2: 30% of the deer we recover would be found near water. I think we've recovered 1% of our deer within 50 yards of water. Wow. Um, wow. If I had to say, if I had to suggest to any to anyone is, continue going in the direction the deer was going when you last saw it. Because that's one trend that seems to, to hold true most of the time. When a deer is lethally, mortally wounded, and I'm not talking necessarily a gut shot or liver shot, um, those deer also go in kind of a straight path. But primarily the deer that are double long, uh, you know, that are going to die within you know 30 minutes or whatever or less, the direction you saw them running is, typically the general direction they stay on. They're just trying to flee danger, right? Yeah. And so if you, and it gets a little wider the farther out. So if you drew a cone shape out from your stand in the direction the deer went, um, at about 300 yards, 100 yards wide, deer's probably going to be in that cone. Um, that would be my best advice. Now, a deer that's liver or gut shot that that ends up not dying in its first bed, and every so often we come up on a deer like that, it, that, that, it ran you know, straight away from the hunter, and and then started walking. You know, it ran 50, 75 yards, stopped, hunched up, walked away. The deer bedded down 200 yards from the hunter, straight away from him. But at some point in the night, coyotes bumped them, or they got thirsty. They got up and went, instead of continuing north, they went east towards a pond or something, and you find them over there dead. So in circumstances like that where they live longer, they have a chance to, you know, calm down and think about their next move. But deer that die within that, you know, soon after the shot, usually straight line or a general straight line away from where you shot them. You don't have to worry about going to water. And the thing about water, I believe what happens with people, the reason they think that is deer are running and they're dying as they're running and they go down a hill and they're crossing a creek. And that they're swimming that creek, they're exerting a lot of force, they end up dying in the creek as they try to cross it. Um, water is an obstacle too. I found deer bedded next to a swamp where they couldn't continue in the path they were going, so they just stopped and bedded down. It wasn't that they ran to the water. The water's just an obstacle and they happen to die in it or near it trying to get across it.
1: Yeah.
2: So I think that's I think that's why a lot of people say, Oh, go search water. Don't go randomly searching there's a pond 300 yards behind your stand and the deer went north and the pond south just because there's water go in the direction deer went, you know, and, uh, if the deer lived more than a few hours, maybe start checking in the thick cover. If the deer had a chance to actually bed down, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yep. Yep. What about, what Um, about the saying that, you know, deer don't go uphill when they're wounded? Oh
2: man, (laughs) they go uphill, downhill, they swim (laughs) rivers and creeks. A deer that's hurt and running away from danger, you know, he, he got shot. Um, it ain't, they don't lose their energy like all of a sudden now they they can't scale a hill because they're weak or something. So they they still have the adrenaline and the, and the muscle power to do that. Um, when they get too weak and go up a hill, they're about to die. They just fall over and tumble down the hill, you know. Yeah. But as long as they're, they're alive and flee in the danger, they'll go uphill, downhill, wherever. Wherever they need to go to get to where they're going. Hmm. So as the guy, I wish I didn't go uphill because I've tracked deer in the bluff country and that is <laughs> heck on my knees.
1: Oh yeah, man! I bet I was. I, I got to be out in southwestern Wisconsin quite a bit this past uh, this past spring, and man, it was it was tough coming from the flatland where, what I'm used to, and uh, chasing turkeys and stuff up and down those hills. Man, I, I can't imagine tracking deer through them.
2: Yeah, it's uh up and down up and down <laughs> and especially early on when um when my dog was new to tracking and so she didn't always stay on the li- on the line and we were tracking this deer in hill country and she went up it and then she said up oh, no wrong way and she went down it and then she stopped up oh, no wrong way and went up it again and i was say like, callie you need to make up your mind i can't do this so we got to stop and, you know yeah, it was crazy. Her her legs had no problem. She getting up, and I'm getting too old to be going up and down those steep hills. <laughs>
1: Y'all have to come some kind of have to come to some kind of understanding there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, now she's now she's older and fatter like me. She's a little more slower, uh, slower and more methodical in her tracking. There you go. So it's making it a little easier on me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Shane, as the guy on the other end of the phone call, right, or the text message, or whatever it is, when guys reach out to you. When would you tell folks it's time to call a tracker? Because, I, you know, I, I know in me, you know, I shoot a deer and I'm not sure. And I kind of start tracking it. And I'm like, I don't know. Should I call somebody? Should I not? When should people call you? Or maybe not you, but any tracker?
2: Well, I would call a tracker now, or at least your local tracker, just to, to you know, to meet them um, and, and talk to them and know what, you know, or at least go into some of the local Facebook pages to find the local trackers and, and get an idea of who's calling save those numbers in your, in your phone. So that you're not trying to search with a weak signal, you know, an internet, you know, it's a lot harder to search the internet with a weak signal it is to make a <laughs> phone call or a text. Yep. Right. you yep. already had that. already had that information in your phone yep. and it doesn't hurt to call and say, Hey, I'm hunting in this area. I just want to introduce myself. You know, that's, that's fine. You don't have to do that, but you can, it wouldn't hurt. Uh, get a, a rapport with your local tracker.
1: No, I, th- uh, I think the, that's really good advice. I actually, I I barely got somebody to come out and help me this past season just because I didn't know any of the guys in the area and they were all helping people that they knew. You know, as they were, you know, they got buddies yeah. and stuff. They get, obviously get priority over uh, over me, Joe Blow, that they have no clue who I am.
2: Yeah, that that is kind of true. I mean, if somebody called me and, and, and I knew you and if I saw your name pop up on caller will call it, it was, hey man, what's going on? Oh, I got this deer I shot. But then a call that I don't know—it's just a number—shows up, and then they text me a shot a deer. You know, obviously I'm gonna help my friend out because um, I've already talked to him number one, but because he's my friend and I know him. And um, so you, you now, with that said, if somebody had called me and I'd already agreed to track him, I'm not gonna scratch him just to go track my friend. Sure. I'll tell my friend, "You're just gonna have to wait." <laughs> but here's the thing: uh, most hunters need to be patient if they shoot a deer and they need a tracker. A lot of them get panic mode. Um, if your deer's dead now, it's going to be deer dead, you know, a few hours from now. Don't. And plus, there's wait times. Don't be in such a big hurry to, um, you know, if the tracker's not available right this minute, give it thirty minutes an hour. He may be on another track. Wait for him to get back to you. Um, but anyway, um, if I'm, I'm a, I'm gonna look at some of my own scenarios here lately to describe how I approached it as far as getting a tracker. I shot a doe last year with my recurve. Um, I tracked her falling into the water that dropped off her body where she crossed the creek right after the shot for about 30 or 40 yards, and I started losing drops of water. You know, that's the only way. I could not find a drop of blood. Wow. And I I called my buddy. Uh, he's another tracker, and I, and I said, hey, you want to bring your dog over tomorrow um, and track this deer for me and get I was either going to bring Callie over or let him bring. He has a dog that's very experienced too. Um, sometimes I will let him take take my tracks because um, I'll get when it's a personal deer of mine. I sometimes it like, clouds my judgment. I would rather you know have another tracker yep. keep me yep. straight. Yep. <laughs> yep. Anyway, I was prepared to have him come track that deer the next morning, and I, luckily, I, as I went around a little slew to, to get out of there, I saw her eyes reflecting in my flashlight. She had died you know, fifty yards from the shot. So at that point, I'm I don't have any blood to go on. I'm losing my water drop trail. Um, I wasn't exactly positive of the shot. I thought I hit where I actually hit her, was dead on where I thought I hit her. But you know you start second guessing yourself. I found my arrow floating in the creek, and the broadhead was broke off. So that was another sign. I didn't. I thought I didn't get great penetration. All those clues said back out. Get a dog in it the next morning. It's cool enough tonight that the meat's not going to spoil it. if she's dead now. Um, just play it safe. So that's how I approached that one. Now, if I'd gotten a lot of good blood and whatever, and it looked like lung blood, and um, and I had blood all up the arrow, I probably would have continued tracking. Um, the other one was uh, a, shot, a deer I shot in Wisconsin a uh, year before last, I think. Something like that. Um, I Actually, it made a great hit on it, double lung and heart shot. It looked like a good hit. But And I saw it run off and then I lost sight of it as I was moving to trying to adjust my camcorder to get footage of it. And I didn't see it fall. And it was in like an open CRP field. And I I walked the path of that deer wall and I could not find a drop of blood. And I may not have been on where the deer actually ran. I may have been off four or five feet. And I was I decided <clears throat> that I was going to go get my dog and track that deer because I have not found any blood. Another case where... I thought I made a good hit, but I just wasn't finding the sign that I would have liked to see. Him. And uh, that deer ended up going, I think, close to 200, 175, 200 yards total with a hard shot. Mm. And uh, and it bled a little bit. There was a lot of blood inside the organs or inside the thoracic cavity. So again, both deer were easily recoverable uh, by me. Um, but <clears throat> when, it, when you start having those questions, that could have easily turned into two tracks where I never would have found a deer without a dog. You know, yep. if, the, if there had been thicker cover or if the, like the doe, if she'd, if it had been hidden better cover, you know, I could have easily overlooked it with no blood to follow. It. Um, a dog would make simple work of that. Especially if, if you get a dog on it right away. Those are what I call hot tracks. I could have gone home and got Callie on that buck and she would have found it in seconds. you know, <laughs> cause it was a fresh track.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, but I mean, yeah, you got to take each one uh, individually. You got to look at what where you thought you hit it. What's the sign telling you? What's your arrow telling you? The blood on the arrow, what the, the blood on the ground telling you? Sometimes uh, you may think it was a wasted trip to have a tracker come out there because I've recovered deer thirty yards from where the hunter lost sight the sign of the deer. You know, and we find it just thirty yards away in some thick cover. And then other times I've tracked deer that the hunter was sure it was a great hit. The deer wouldn't be far away, dead. He just wanted to help find it, and then we uh, end up going on an epic track, fifteen hundred yards, Ooh. you know, a mile to tra- find these deer. So it's a lot of times it's uh it's kind of hit and miss on what's going to happen on the track, even on the ones you think are good. You hit deer. You just gotta. I guess you just gotta make that decision yourself based on the evidence, and and go from there.
1: Yeah. It's a hard,
2: it's a hard decision to make sometimes.
1: Yeah. So just generally speaking, then man, we've, we've covered a lot of really, really good ground, a lot of stuff for folks to think about. Hopefully a lot of stuff that's going to come flooding back to people's minds in that moment when they're getting down and sort of evaluating, okay, what just happened? Where did I hit this deer? Whatever. Any last minute tips that you're like, Hey, do this, remember this, take this with you.
2: Yeah, uh, use tissue. Use lighted knots. Um, mark your trail with tissue. Stay off the blood trail when you're tracking. Uh, have your trackers' numbers um, already saved in your phone. Um, what I say, use the white fletching on your arrows and a wrap if possible. I don't have a wrap on mine, but I do use the white fletching. And um, don't be afraid to call a tracker. Most of them don't charge you anything to track. They'll take some tips. You know, you throw them forty, fifty dollars their way or a hundred dollars their way. Um, and I think that's well worth it to recover a deer.
1: Yeah. Uh, absolutely. what's
2: the other thing? Yeah. Don't, and don't grid search, save your grid searching for deadline. If it comes to the point you need to grid search, that should be your last resort. Hmm. A dog comes before grid searching. If you want to search for your deer, that's fine. But it's the first sign that you may lose the trail and you're going to, you're thinking about grid searching, get the dog instead on tracks that are not grid search. Um, We have like a, let's see what my stats are here in front of me. On track, let's put it this way. Tracks that were grid searched, we only found 19% of those. Oh, wow. And on, yeah. And on tracks that are not grid searched, we found like 60 something percent of those.
1: Wow. That's significant.
2: Yeah. It
1: it just shows you how much
2: disturbance, you know, you you get you and four of your buddies out there, you're picking up blood and scent molecules from the deer, the individual gland, the pheromones from the injury scent all that's being collected on your boots and then you you and your four buddies are walking five different directions looking for this deer randomly a dog comes in there and 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 now instead of having one scent trail has five different scent trails inside of the cypher here's a good analogy imagine a field with six inches of snow and you walk across that field and i've got to track you i can easily track you across that field now drop off a school bud, a school bus load of kids. Let them play in that field for an hour, and then go follow my tracks to that snow. You're going to have a <laughs> difficult time following. That's what the dogs <laughs> seeing with all that. So that's that's about the best analogy I have for what it does to a scent trail.
1: Yeah, I man, that's really that's wrecked. Good. That's a good picture. That's a good picture. Well, Shane, I appreciate your time. Appreciate all the knowledge that you've shared, man. Like I said, I think. I think this is a lot for folks to to digest, and will be really helpful come fall if we are fortunate enough to get uh, a shot on some deer. Why don't you tell us where folks can find more uh, from you, both when it comes to turkey hunting and all that good stuff, and your tracking with Cali?
2: So yeah, I have uh, my website Hunting dot com. You can find uh, some of my videos there, links to them, you know, just some of the the I guess the more popular videos, deer tracking data some of the gear I use, et cetera, just uh, a little bit of everything. Um, but if you want to just find just videos, just go to Shane Simpson on YouTube. You can find my turkey hunting videos, my deer tracking videos, my deer hunting videos, a little bit of everything on there. It's mainly just hunting. I don't do much fishing. If I do, I do video it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and those, those are the two main areas. You can find me on social media, on uh, Instagram and TikTok and and, and um, Facebook and that sort of thing. You can just type in my name it's, it, it pretty much comes up if you type in Shane Simpson.
1: Man, big on the TikTok now, huh? You liking it? Uh, well, I I
2: tinker around a little bit. I enjoy watching a few here and there. I don't spend as much time on there as um as most people. Um I do enjoy it, but they keep censoring some of the stuff. Instagram doesn't censor them. some of my videos. If you, sh- if you show velvet antlers in a video, I get censored for it, you know? What? <laughs> yeah, cuz it's a dead animal, but I'm like or if you happen to show a gun, you'll get censored for it. Instagram doesn't bother me with that stuff; they let me put, uh, post those videos. Yeah. So I, I'll post, I'll post there a lot of times, and then YouTube's been pretty good. They haven't, um, they don't censor any of my stuff there. I, uh, unless I show like guts and gore, um, th- uh, they'll limit the reach of that video, mm. So you know, no, under a certain age won't get to see it. So I. I have done the autopsy videos on my YouTube channel and I put them as a link video in the description, but nobody ever goes and watch because you can see the views and be like 20 views on a video that has 10,000 views.
1: Oh my goodness. So obviously
2: no one's yeah, no one's interested in going to see the Oregon. City. They just want to watch you find a deer or, or shoot a deer. One of the two. <laughs> um,
1: oh man.
2: But man. anyway, that's, that's where you can find me.
1: Awesome. Well, good stuff, Shane. I appreciate your time. And, uh, hey, l- good luck this fall. I know you've got uh, got some trips planned and look forward to uh, some of the content coming up uh, from you on the channel.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back into it. I haven't edited a video since spring. I've been enjoying my summer. Well, I've been working around the house and stuff, but I've been enjoying my summer away from editing. It's a nice little vacation, but I'm, I'm ready to get back in the woods. I'm ready to get back to video and editing. I enjoy putting it together. And uh, thanks for having me on.
1: That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. Go support the partners that help us keep this show going. If you're looking for more outdoor-themed content, you can check out thesportsmansempire.com, where you'll find my other show, The Wisconsin Sportsman, and tons of other relevant outdoor content.